When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is typically where I tell you about the relief and recovery creams from Escape Artists. But more importantly, you got to go to Lightshade Dispensary. There's 11 in the Denver metro area, not just because of their premium selection of top shelf flowers accessories, tinctures, edibles, whatever it is that you're looking for. And not just because you can get 25% off non-sale items when you use code DNVR, but it's because of the expertise of those who work there are providing. If you're not sure what kind of products you want to get, they are going to help you through that process and make sure you get the right product for whatever it is you are looking to do. And that's at Lightshade Dispensary, lightshade.com for any of 11 of Denver metro area locations. That's your first pitch. Now let's play ball. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, when you use code DNVR at sign up, you're going to get some special offers like how a simple $5 bet on any fighter at this weekend's UFC 276 is going to get you $100 in free bets, win or lose. It's that simple when you use code DNVR on DraftKings Sportsbook. I am your host, Patrick Lyons, and on today's DNVR Rockies podcast, we've got a very special guest from the last word on sports, Evan Thompson, where we dig into some interesting statistics that will help us learn to understand the job that some middle relievers do. They, frankly, don't get as much love as they might typically from players in other positions. We know what closers do as far as saves, starting pitchers. They're out there for a very long time amount of time, but relief pitchers, they're in and out. Their appearances are very brief and sometimes one outing can really skew statistics. Evan's going to help break some of that down. And we actually talk about Daniel Bard and I got a chance to catch up with Daniel Bard. I'll talk about that in in just a little bit, but if we're going to really start this show off properly on Wednesday morning, besides still acknowledging the fact that the Stanley cup champs are right here in Denver now, known as Titletown, of course, the Colorado Avalanche. Bring that up also because the Stanley Cup will be, well, maybe not on display, but it will be there. It's coming to Coors Field on Wednesday. They've got a whole pregame ceremony planned a little bit after 6 o'clock, but make sure you are there so you can say that you indeed set your eyes upon Lord Stanley's Cup. I've never seen it before in my life, and I'm not going to – We're both all probably going to see it from the same exact distance away, uh, unless you got those really, really good seats down by where Dick Monfort's sitting. Regardless, it's going to be a pretty cool moment there on Wednesday. And it's not a day game. It's a night game, a rare 640 night game. LA will have to travel back home 
for uh, another night game on Thursday against San Diego. So they got a, they've had a tough schedule there with the Sunday night baseball game and then having a night game on Wednesday and have to fly back to L.A. really quick. Well, look, the Rockies have had to deal with that for a while, many, many times. And so sometimes payback can be a you-know-what. And payback is probably the correct word to describe the first two games in this series, both of which have been won by the Colorado Rockies. They've now won four in a row against the Los Angeles Dodgers. The first time that they've won that many in a row, if not more, they did win five in a row in 2016, but we're looking at at six seasons since Rockies have been able to do something like that. You also have the first time, I want to say since 2018, that the Colorado Rockies have won two consecutive series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. You'll remember Despite the fact that they lost opening day, they won the next two games, game two and game three. Haven't played them since then, and now they've won two in a row to secure a series victory against two of their better pitchers in Tyler Anderson and Clayton Kershaw. In fact, crazy statistic, a lot of different statistics and fun facts that have been popping up here. Feels like the last 48 hours, all kinds of firsts that can be a little bit hard to, to wrap your head around, but I think it gives you some interesting context for almost how up against it the Rockies have been as of late. Not playing very well, but these two victories over the Dodgers, pretty impressive. In fact, historic, because they're the first team in MLB history to hand a loss to a pitcher who is 8-0 or better. That was, of course, Tyler Anderson in his return to Coors Field. Had great numbers against the Rockies in four starts since he left the organization back in 2019. And yet he actually hasn't had very good seasons away from the club. 2020, 2021, not very good. And yet his starts against the Rockies, pretty good. But the Rockies are the first team in MLB history to hand a loss to an 8-0 or better pitcher and a pitcher with multiple Cy Young awards. That, of course, being Clayton Kershaw in game two in back-to-back games, either order, either order. So you're taking a historical guy, a Hall of Famer, surefire, first ballot guy, I would have to say at this point, Clayton Kershaw, and a guy who's really going to be ticketed for the All-Star game. Not so much a ticket as it it's going to be a parking spot because he'll just be able to drive there in Los Angeles. So Rockies on Monday night, that is the bigger game, I think, a lot more. So they did so many things well on Tuesday, but on Monday night, that 4-0 victory, a complete game, three-hit shutout for Chad Cool. What a performance by him. First career shutout in his somewhat short career. He's been around the block six, seven seasons, but that was his longest outing, his best outing. He actually debuted against Clayton Kershaw on Sunday Night Baseball when he was with Pittsburgh. Got the win there, and he hung a loss on Clayton Kershaw. It was only his second that year. He lost four that season. That was 2016. So cool doing it in a very, very major way, shutting it down, doing it in two hours and 17 minutes, shortest game all season long. He used only 102 pitches, seventh fewest in franchise history in a complete game shutout, and fourth fewest at Coors Field. Dude was just dealing. 
It was the first complete game shutout since Hermen Marquez did it last year against Pittsburgh. Of course, that was that near no-hitter where he took it into the ninth before Kia Tom broke it up, unfortunately. And only the 17th total complete game shutout in franchise history. Just an absolutely stellar performance. We were fortunate enough. Fortunate might not be the right word, but after we got done talking with Bud Black, who of course was praising the work that Chad Cool was able to do on Monday night and reminding us to not minimize the fact that it wasn't just a complete game shutout, wasn't just a complete game, a three-hit shutout, but it was one that was thrown against quite possibly the best team in the National League right now, the first place Los Angeles Dodgers. And so that makes it all the more special. And as we're walking back to the clubhouse to speak with Chad Cool, there he was in the tunnel, speaking with his parents. They were celebrating, had a nice moment there. The 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 three of them, his mother and father and himself, had already had those kind of moments with his his wife and child. So just just wonderful, special time there for Chad Cool. Connor Joe in that game went two for four. Multiple hits now for the fourth time in five games, seventh time through his last 10. 436 average. OPS over a thousand. He is really starting to heat up. Jose Iglesias homered for the first time this season, snapped a stretch of 262 homerless at bats, the seventh longest streak in the majors. At that point, he had last homered in September of 2021 in Seattle. He actually discussed after the game that there was kind of an internal joke and he phrased it that way very Particularly because I asked him, I, I followed up and about him and Daza. You know, neither of them had had a home run, and the internal joke was, you know, who is going to hit it first? So once he came around third base, took his time, took his time rounding the bases. That was uh, kind of cool to see. He he really hit the cover off that ball, four hundred thirty plus feet to left field, but came in, and his teammates just were were really happy and ecstatic for him, and. Had to follow up and say, hey, you know, did you guys have a bet? Like, did you win something for for hitting that first home run before Jonathan Daza? And super quick-witted, right there, didn't hesitate. Well, hey, you're not allowed to bet in baseball. And we uh, we had a nice laugh about that. It's true, you're not. But friendly bets like that, of course, uh, that, that, was a, that was a cool little moment. Randall Gritchick went two for three and overshadowed as it may be. Chris Bryant returned from the injured list. A lot of moves that happened. Bryant returned, as did Ty Block from the injured list. You had Sean Bouchard going on the 15-day IL with an oblique strain, oblique injury, something along those lines. He's still been around the ballpark. Looking nimble, but still not able to really swing a bat like he's typically used to. And since you need a another player off the 26-man roster, Ryan Feltner was shipped back to Albuquerque. He'll rejoin the isotopes rotation, and of course, that opens a spot in the rotation for the Rockies, so that brings Austin Gomber back into the fold. He should be starting on Saturday against the Arizona Diamondbacks, so that kind of updates you on the roster going into Wednesday night's game, but Bryant was able to go one for four, look good out there in left field. He also started on Tuesday night as a DH, but still, you like to see that he was able to play in back-to-back games there. 
going back on what I mentioned about Bud Black not wanting to really overlook the importance of this shutout against one of the best teams in all of baseball, a team that, you know, on Tuesday night, I looked at that lineup and I want to say six through nine, definitely not world beaters. You know, Chris Taylor's a good hitter. He's, he's batting cleanup in that roster. So they're, they're arresting some of their more potent bats. We know Mookie Betts is a little bit banged up right now and not on the field, unfortunately. Uh, if, if you are a fan of the Dodgers or, or a fan of Mookie Betts, just in general, you want the best players out there, no matter what team they suit up for. But kind of a suspect lineup, but no surprise they were still able to squeeze out four runs on Tuesday night in the loss. Wouldn't have shocked you if they ended up putting up 10 runs because it's the Dodgers. But with almost a full squad type of lineup, Chad Cool throwing that complete game shutout First complete game shutout thrown against the Dodgers since August 5th, 2016. Interleague game, Boston Red Sox, Stephen Wright, a guy who threw a knuckleball. How about that? So just a fantastic performance by Chad Cool. Really, really love to see that kind of performance. And then on Tuesday night, Kyle Freeland follows it up, does a nice job, gets the quality start, six innings pitched, gives up three. Run in the first, run in the second, but the Rockies battled back and supported him with runs coming back each of those innings. He did give up another home run later, gave up three, or rather, he gave up two home runs. Dodgers hit three on Tuesday night and showed that grit that he's been showing has a quality start now in four of his last five outings this month of June. So he's been really solid and really, really consistent and, and matching wits with Clayton Kershaw, who had frankly, one of the worst starts of his career. And, you know, it's saying something, especially when you hear the, the stat line of, all right, four innings pitched, it's a uh, season low tying length and gave up six runs. Okay. Season high for earned runs, but it's not entirely catastrophic, but for a guy like Clayton Kershaw, first ballot hall of famer, that's that actually is a pretty big deal. In fact, his worst start of giving up six earned runs since back in 2017 to the New York Mets. So really a uh, fantastic job by, by the bats all around. Kershaw could not get out. Charlie Blackman, who had three hits against Kershaw, had some really interesting things to say. Whenever you talk to Charlie Blackman after the game, if you're even able to get him simply because he's got a post-game regimen that is quite possibly the best in the game. We've talked about it a bunch, but came out and you never know when you throw a question his way, if he's going to think it's maybe a little bit silly and I'll give you something short and let you know about it. He's direct and to the point, cannot blame him for that. Cannot actually very much appreciate that. Or he's going to give you a really good answer. And I felt good about my question about, you know, facing Kershaw. He now has 74 plate appearances against Kershaw. That's third most uh, of, of any hitter. I don't know that he'll, he'll get to second. I think Hunter Pence is something like 193. First most is Buster Posey, who we know is retired, but that's that number is 120. So I don't think he's actually going to get up there. But they've got a lot of history. And Charlie, frankly, said it's actually really cool to have done battle with somebody like that, you know, kind of leave it between the lines, you know, maybe there's been some stuff between them, but 
ultimately that's that's a baseball thing and it's really cool to uh and he, and he likes that ability to look back on that so that was uh really cool to get his response on that did add a fourth hit i want to say it's his 26th game of four hits or more has three five hit games and excuse me two five hit games one six hit game i think those all came in 2014 but had himself a really nice day kershaw couldn't get out brendan rogers who I think only had one hit against Kershaw, but was able to draw two walks. Elias Diaz also did make it out in his two plate appearances against Kershaw. Charlie also doubled his 277th of his career. Now ties him for third most in Rockies history with Carlos Gonzalez. And with one more game here to round out the month of June, Charlie... He's turned the clock back a little bit. He's He's been, I think, a lot better than many of us had probably expected. This is the player that, obviously, the Rockies had hoped they were getting back when they signed him to that extension in 2018. But we had seen him take a couple steps back. And while we still don't have vintage Charlie Blackman, we definitely have something. We have a lot more vintage moments, vintage games. And overall, he's that, that step he took back in 2021 – you know, he's he's showing more flashes of of that 2020 player, a little bit of that 2019 guy. He's he's hitting 311 in the month of June, six doubles, one triple, five home runs, and 18 RBI. He's he's been really good. And doing a good job also accepting that role and, and being the DH once in a while. Big shout out to everyone who has made the DNVR bar 1.0. Such a wonderful place. We are we are going to miss that version, that iteration. But of course, it's going to come back bigger and better this summer. If you're not already a member, it's only 50 cents for your, your first month. And when we reopen, of course, you get that member-sized beer, that mega pint. You get those extra raffle tickets at all of the watch parties. Look, you saw what it looked like for the Avs. That was the vibe leading up through the Stanley Cup final. That was the vibe leading up to... Game six, that final game was, simply put, epic. But we're creating that kind of atmosphere there on the corner of Colfax and York for you if you're in the Denver metro area. But if you're not, guess what? You still get all that great great written coverage. Broncos, Nuggets, Avs, Rockies, Rapids. You're getting golf. You're getting rugby. So much more with Rams as well as buffs for college sports. Again, Members-only Discord allows you to have access to everyone in the community, make some new friends, and hear some things that we're not necessarily at liberty to discuss on the podcast or on Twitter. So it kind of changes the conversation and the tone just a little bit. We have fun talking with you when we do that. Price breaks at all the tailgates and party buses when we bring those back for that season here in the fall. That's the dnvr.com. Parade is on Thursday, and of course, if there's going to be a drink for your 4th of July party, or if you've got a tailgate going on before you head out to the Rockies game on Friday and Saturday night when there are going to be fireworks, you know that brew of the season from Breckenridge Brew is the Avalanche Ale. All throughout the playoffs, they were sending super fans and community stars to those games and having a wonderful time giving you guys jerseys doing all that and so time to pay them back for the avalanche ale partially because you know what the proceeds for all the sales of avalanche ale 
actually goes to the community fund Boulder County to benefit Marshall Fire victims. And so that's that's something you want to be a part of, again, supporting the community the best way that you can. And that's with Breckenridge Breweries Avalanche Ale. The Calf Slicer, the Peruvian Necktie, have you heard of these things? There are a ton of ways to come out on top in the octagon. And for UFC 276, there's one more with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. New customers can bet $5 on any fighter to win and get $100 in free bets at UFC 276. Win or lose, whether it's Adesanya with a knockout kick or the powerful punch by Cannoneer, you win no matter what. And with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you could turn another small bet into a big payday. Combine multiple bets like which fighter will win, number of knockouts, and more. All of that at UFC 276 this weekend. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR. Bet $5 on any UFC 276 fighter to win and get $100 in free bets no matter the result. That's code DNVR this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I'm going to go ahead and get out of my own way to allow myself to jump back in and have a nice conversation with Evan Thompson where we get into some interesting statistics of, of how to look at what relief pitchers are doing because if you're not getting a save and you're not getting a hold, which I don't think we really value that stat very much, and that's okay, there's better ways that we can contextualize what relief pitchers are doing in certain situations. And and speaking with Daniel Bard, he actually looks at these statistics very closely. We bring him up in the conversation. And he actually pointed out a couple that I, I hadn't really known about. They're somewhat similar to what we talk about with Evan Thompson, but shutdowns versus meltdowns. And it was really interesting conversation about how the analytics that we have publicly out there doesn't necessarily tell the whole picture. I think Bard, in, in, in talking with him in the, in the dugout on Monday, mentioned that there were two home runs he gave up last year that were absolute wall scrapers that just barely went out. And in other ballparks, it it would not have donged, if you're familiar with would it have donged or would it dong, excuse me there, on Twitter. Awesome account that that you can follow to see every fly ball you know how many different ballparks would have been a home run in or how many ballparks would a home run not have been in and so if you hit a hit a moonshot you know it's going to be all 30 out of 30 but once in a while like with ryan mcmahon a couple weeks ago he hit a ball to left center field that was caught for an out and guess what course field was the only place that that would have been an out and i felt bad for bumming him out just a little bit but i did also want to get his take on that so Statistics can be deceiving, especially if they don't have the right context. And Evan does a really good job of kind of breaking that down for relief pitchers. So without further ado, joining me today is a gentleman I got to know earlier in spring training, and I'm I'm really glad I am. He writes for the last word on sports covering the Arizona Diamondbacks, is the author of A Complete History of Major League Baseball Playoffs, Volume one, and he created a statistic, so you know I had to have him on. My new and goodest buddy, Evan Thompson. What's up, buddy? Hey, Patrick. Uh, it's going well. Nice to be here, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, you were helping me the other night. I was trying to work on my own. I was trying to evoke my inner Evan Thompson and try to come up with some 
base running and stealing statistics. Uh, I don't know if I had quite as much as, as luck as you did, but that's probably a good place to, to start. Cause you're just a, uh, you're a good old fashioned baseball guy. You're a big part of uh, your local saber chapter there in, in the Phoenix area. So uh, you, you, you think with that baseball part of your brain, no doubt about it. And you came up with an interesting statistic for something to try to get a better grasp in a way of what relief pitchers are doing. We know what saves mean. Well, it's very much about the situation and there's only one closer per team essentially. So there's an opportunity to get a hold, but even still it's very much situational. So you kind of were able to find a different way to, to maybe pinpoint how successful a bullpen has been doing in some of those situations that might not typically be a hold or a save. Yeah. What, what, what did this for me was, um, 2020 kind of highlighted this a bit where, you know, the season was so short, one bad outing could, as Zach Buchanan at the athletic put it in a press conference, nuke your ERA for a month. And, uh, you know, they only played what two and a half months, in 2020. So there were relievers that would have a bad outing or two and their ERAs were shot for the rest of the season that continued into 2021. Um, and what I thought was, wait a minute, you know, this is like three pitches goofed up in the ERA. I'm talking about JB Wendelka and his ERA went from 230 to 405 because of two pitches. So I was like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And, um, I was like, cause JB 15 out of his 20 outings, he put up a zero. And then I was like, wait a minute, why don't we just measure that? That's a reliever's job. Go in the game, keep runs off the board, pass the baton to the next guy. So I just called it the scoreless outing percentage. And what I do for that is I figure out how many um, relief appearances they have where they don't allow an earned run or a run. So uh, don't allow a run at all. And then I divide it by their total relief appearances. Voila. Well, numbers mean nothing without context. So I figured out what the league average was. And then I'm comparing it that way. Um, so in the national league last year, the league average was 69.4%. Yeah. And again, that's another great way of contextualizing things. We've talked about that on the podcast. I feel like a lot more as of recent Susie and I, this idea of, you know, you look at certain statistics and numbers, uh, especially like defense and you look at errors and go, Oh, this guy didn't make a lot of errors. Well, did he play a lot? No. Okay. Well, that doesn't mean much. Okay. Well, what if he did play a lot? Is he getting to a lot of baseballs or are they just falling in right in front of him and not touching it? Well, again, you, you help give it uh, a lot of context. And I think maybe it's easy to look at Tyler Kinley and what he was able to do for the Colorado Rockies before he unfortunately went out and appears to be lost for the season. But again, if you create a metric, you want to see certain names up there and, and you hope that you did it right. And Tyler Kinley has been one of those guys for the Rockies this year as far as the scoreless outing percentage and and looking as you know one of the best relievers in all the national league absolutely and i uh actually when i updated the uh statistic earlier today i found that of all national league relievers with 15 appearances or more he is second in scoreless outing percentage it's 92 percent only joe manaply has a better one 93.3 those two guys are both even better than josh Hader, who is at 91.7 so um, yeah, it, that's a real tough blow losing Kenley like that because he's been lights out. We've also talked about on our DNVR Rockies podcast the idea that we have a lot of statistics that are public facing that people can use and, and utilize. And, and I suggest people go and uh, check out Evan's page uh, on Last Word on sports. And we'll, we'll go ahead and put a link in the podcast description. But 
we know that teams, all 30 teams, they've got their own proprietary analytics where behind closed doors, they're trying to evaluate things. I mean, we look at Moneyball and a lot of people think of it as, oh, it's all about on-base percentage. Well, it was for the A's during that period of time, but it was also about finding undervalued players or undervalued skills in winning ball games. And we, we all know how hard it is to find relievers and uh, building a, a successful bullpen. So I sort of suppose when you, when you first showed me that, I'm like, wow, this is a statistic that it would not surprise me if, if a lot of teams in, in Major League Baseball, and this is a compliment, have something very similar to this, if not exactly, because, hey, they want to find the next closer, the next setup man, you know, before, you know, we know Joe Kelly and he's gotten a couple nice little free agent deals and, and there are players of his caliber that go out there and get paid. But what about the guy before he reaches free agency? Tyler Kinley was uh, picked up off the scrap heap from the Miami Marlins by the Rockies. Joe Mantiply is, is kind of another one of those names that a lot of people might not know who he is, but with statistics like, like that you put out, you say, oh, okay, actually I've been sleeping on this player. He's pretty darn good. Are, are there other guys uh, either in the NLS or Diamondbacks or Rockies that you look to and say, hey, you know what? He's doing his job. Maybe he's only appearing in the sixth and seventh inning, but I'm a fan of this this player. He gets overlooked. Maybe he's even in the American League. Um, well, one that is also on the Diamondbacks is Kyle Nelson. Uh, Kyle Nelson, going into today, his scoreless outing percentage was 88%. So um, he's another one. Um let me see here. I've got the AL stats up. Will Vest for the Tigers. He's not a closer, but he's at 87. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, is Jason Adam closing for the Rays? I don't think he is. I think Fire Eyes is their closer. Jason Adams, 90.6. You know, there, there are several guys in there that are along those lines. And then you also have the studs like Clay Holmes, <laughs> who's closing yeah. for the Yankees and doing a great job. He's at 93.8%. He's been just absolutely lights out too. So, um, yeah, there are a few others. Again, when you've got a, a guy who's who's taking the closer role away from a superstar like Aroldis Chapman, who's making yeah. what about twenty million dollars, and you're like, who, Clay Holmes? I, no, I, I'm not familiar with him, but he's closing for the Yankees. Okay, all right, you're, he's doing something right, and again, your statistic is doing something right. Uh, something that Nate Silver uh, also did, and I think this was part of your inspiration. He looked at goose eggs, broken eggs, a little bit, and again, when you look at those statistics, you see Daniel Bard with. 20 goose eggs, second most in the National League. Could you maybe just briefly touch on and explain what those uh, new age statistics are, so to speak? Yeah, um, I want all credit to go to Nate Silver here because he came up with a, an absolute gold mine here. Um, he pointed out some problems with saves. Uh, I'll We have a little bit of time. So um, basically, let's, let's take a scenario here. Let's say that um, we're pitching in a game. You and I are on the same team. And our starting pitcher um, ends up running into some trouble. It's a tie game, and he loads the bases, and there's one out. And the manager brings you in, okay? So Patrick goes to the mound, promptly um, gets a double play ball. We're out of the inning, okay? So this is the top of the eighth this happens. Bottom of the eighth, our team goes out and scores three runs, okay? Then I come in to pitch the ninth walk a guy, give up a two-run homer, and then get the next uh, three guys out, I'll get a save. You'll get a win. But let's back up a little bit more. Let's say that you pitch the seventh. Some other guy pitches the eighth, one, two, three inning. It's still a tie game. Then I go pitch the ninth in the same scenario. 
I'll get a save. The other guy will get a win. You'll get nothing. And yet you were a bigger point in winning the game than I was. In fact, it could be argued that they won the game in spite of me. So, you know, <laughs> that's one thing Nate Silver was trying to point out. So with the goose egg, what he does is it's seventh inning or later. It's inning by inning. Seventh inning or later, your team has a lead of no more than two runs instead of three. Or it's a tie game. And he still makes an exception, like if there's an inherited runner and the tying runs on base or at the plate, you'll, you'll still have a goose egg scenario there. But what has to happen is this. You can't give up any runs of any type. So it can't be earned run, unearned run, or inherited runner. Okay. The second part of it is you have to record three outs, or if you come in the game with runners on base, then your outs plus inherited runners has to be three or greater. Okay. And it's inning by inning. So um, that's a, that's a goose egg. If you come in a situation where it's a goose egg and you either give up an earned run, or if you give up an earned run and don't close out the win for your team, that's a broken egg. If you have a situation where it's neither a, goose egg nor a broken egg it's just a meh like <laughs> literally <laughs> so anyone who's listening to it that's not just evan being like oh no that's how it makes me feel meh no that is no that's that the name the of official, stat. yeah that's official <laughs> yeah. statistic meh i mean at least yeah, as far read, as if you're digging in deep enough meh is official <laughs> yes and if you read nate's article he wrote that it's a man it's not really worth mentioning so they don't mention it any further and then he doesn't it was it was wonderfully written um so anyway, I was, uh, when you take the goose egg, I thought this was much better than saves. And I actually included goose eggs in volume one of, of a complete history of major league baseball playoffs. And it helped explain some, uh, relief problems that happened in the playoffs. So, um, this was, like I said, it was a gem. I swear by it now. Um, in fact, when I do relief analysis, I never mentioned saves because you know, why? But I'll mention goose eggs. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's very, very true. We, we've got a gentleman here in Colorado that that likes saying, and I think he's definitely tipped the scales and helping it out. And I think it's true. Kill the win because the win for a starting pitcher we know now just doesn't quite mean as, as much as it did before with guys really, you know, if you go five innings and then you go through the order, you know, two, two plus times, I mean, you're, you're already kind of uh, ahead of the game. So if you're not getting the opportunity and we also know that if you go and go and look at starting pitchers, Overall, there are more losses than wins because you're you can get a loss hung on you on you if if you're not effective through the first four or five innings, but you can't get a win if you are effective. So it's just kind of one of those ways where it's not exactly fair. But uh, what's always fair is the quality pizza over at Sexy Pizza. Evan, can I can I convince you and maybe starting a, a franchise out there in the Phoenix area? We'll have to talk off air. If uh, some some made from fresh each morning dough and made from from scratch deck oven hand tossed pizza is something that it would be great for Phoenix because it's great for Denver. They've got four locations, Capitol Hill, Old South Pearl, Jefferson Park and Park Hill. And you know what? In fact, Evan, if you're really hankering for some sexy pizza, you can go to Trinidad, Colorado. So you don't even have to go all the way to Denver. There's still one in the southern part of the state. They do amazing work and they also like to donate to local charities and stuff. So if you actually go to their about page, you can check out their donations link to find out how sexy pizza can support your cause. And maybe best part of all is their website. It's www.sexy.pizza. Now that's yes, exactly. They got the elusive dot pizza address, which is really the hardest one to go by in 2022. But what's not hard to go by is Green Mountain Dental Group because it's only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. And right now, if you make like a lot of the DNVR members over the years and 
make the permanent switch to Green Mountain Dental Group. In fact, even if you just schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam with them, you're going to receive a free Sonicare toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group. In hearing your explanation about goose egg and broken eggs, some of our maybe less hardcore listeners to the podcast, because I think we, we bring in people from all over. There's hardcores. There's people that maybe they just, just like the quirkiness that we bring on the show and, and the love for baseball. But I think there's a lot of importance to know, like, hey, baseball people and, and front office folks and those in the analytics department, they need to get into the weeds to give better context to try to find the needle in the haystack, to find those gems. I used to say a lot more frequently – you take care of the little things, the big things take care of themselves. And so if you're looking at those little things and trying to make some improvements or trying to figure out who's being undervalued, you're just going to make your organization a little bit more stronger. You're going to put them in a little bit better position to win. And ultimately, it, it ends up in some kind of championship situation. And ultimately, I think that's what we're going to see at the trade deadline. Some of these names that people don't know very well are moving and you think, oh, well, why isn't why aren't people going after Ian Kennedy or Mark Melanson? These are more familiar names who've been a little bit more successful in the close role, at least uh, in the past or in the recent past. But it's it's finding the needle in the haystack where you also get better value. You don't have to trade as much as well to get one of these kind of players. Yeah, that's that's a great point, and I think it also explains why Daniel Bard didn't go anywhere last year because uh, Daniel Bard, as much success as he had, he had a lot of broken eggs. He really did. So. Um, I don't recall what they were off the top of my head, but um, that, that was one thing. He he really, and, and not to pick on Daniel Bard, but last year I really didn't trust him in late inning situations because his ratio of goose eggs to broken eggs was so low. The historical average is three to one, all the way back to 1921, and Bard's uh, ratio was in the low twos. So um, some front offices might have used this one, and that might be why Daniel Bard stayed put, which was good for the Rockies because he's been, he's been pretty good this year, so. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll probably face a similar situation this year. I mean, the numbers are much better as you pointed out. Uh, I think, you know, the Rockies front office really like what he's bringing to, to the bullpen side of things and some of those younger players. But ultimately, if you're, if you're another front office, you're going to play hardball and you, you might not give the Rockies the best possible offer for a player of that caliber. And I think that's, that's one of those areas where the Rockies front office may, may have some difficulties is kind of working through that. I, I want to know, some of the difficulties you might have had in the book that you've uh, recently published here. Again, it's called A Complete History of Major League Baseball Playoffs, Volume 1. And because it's Volume 1, technically speaking, it isn't the complete history. But for all the years that you cover, they, it is very, very complete. How, how long did it take you to do that? And look, people, I'm not just – I didn't have Evan on to try to sell some books. But bottom line, you go and check it out over on Amazon. Perfect five-star rating across the board. So uh, this is a fantastic book. Beautiful cover, too, like a timeless cover where you might see and go, was this published in the, the 80s? Was it you know just last year? It's just fantastic. But how much work goes into publishing a, a novel like this? Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't want to give you flashbacks here. Sorry if I did. <laughs> well, I got the idea in 2011. And then I was still teaching at the time and I left the classroom in 2015 and then kind of started working on it some more in earnest and then stepped back. But I really turned on the jets and did nose to the grindstone boy, double cliche there in 2018, right after the world series. And um, then it, I sent it to the publisher March of 2021. And then um, it, 
went ahead and got published on October 15th. So uh, two and a half to three years. Um, the biggest challenges I ran into, um, the time period was uh, um, the pre-divisional tiebreakers to 1976. And so the first pre-divisional tiebreaker was the 1946 National League tiebreaker. And then they had one, a single game uh, playoff in the American League in 48, the National League in 51, 59, and then 62. All the National League ones involved the Dodgers, by the way. Um, That's so true, yeah. A lot <laughs> of the challenge. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, the shot, the shot heard around the world, right? That's that's the big one that, of course, yeah. we know. And again, that's, almost that alone is worth the price of admission, right? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a game in 1959 that I call the best game you haven't heard of. That was uh, the second game. It ended up being a two-game sweep of the Dodgers over the two-time defending National League champion Milwaukee Braves. And the Braves had five Hall of Famers. <laughs> and the Dodgers, with the addition of Gil Hodges this, uh, this year, also had five, if I remember correctly. But anyway, that game... There was a comeback in the bottom of the ninth by the Dodgers and a pebble helped decide the pennant. So um, what was also cool about that was the guy who hit the sacrifice fly that tied the game and then hit the ball that um, ended up having the throwing error on it was uh, the, um, uh, Carl Farillo. Carl Farillo, the Reading Rifle was the only player on the 59 Dodgers who was on both the 51 team that lost to the Giants in the tiebreaker and the 46 team that lost to the Cardinals. So, I mean, what a script, you know? But that one's in there. The 1962 playoff, which was unbelievable. That's in there too. But the biggest, uh, one of the biggest challenges I faced was um, the fact that a lot of those games, everyone who played in them is dead. Um, so getting primary sources was, was tough there. Now, the fact that I wasn't an established name yet didn't help matters because even people who are living, it'd be really hard to get to get an interview with them. But um, what, what, what's the name of your website? First off, what is a website? Uh, you know what? I'm going to pass on this interview, Evan. Thank you. Right. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So um, anyway, uh, fortunately, um, newspaper articles from especially 46, but even into the 50s and early 60s were very detailed. Uh, 46, the game wasn't even on television. So. Those were very detailed. Finding game film was difficult. Um, fortunately for the Giants, Dodgers playoff in 51, uh, there is a surviving radio call. The one you hear with Russ Hodges, actually, um, I couldn't find in complete form. What I found was, I uh, can't remember the guy's name. He was announcing for, oh, it's killing me. But anyway. Uh, Not Red Barber. Uh, it wasn't Red Barber. It was a different guy. Um, it was a national broadcast. Uh Red Barber did the Dodgers one and um, um, uh, Russ Hodges did the uh, Giants one, but this was a national broadcast and this one survived. So that one helped. Um, the uh, 62 series, uh, both, all three games were available to radio broadcast. So that helped. Um, the 59 series, I managed to catch the second one, not the first one. I couldn't find anything for the first one by the time the book went And were to you able to utilize any of the like Sabre sources or, or just people in Sabre? Like, was that a good way to maybe open some doors or, or at least to pick some people's brains about, you know, publishing things because we've, we've got a lot of authors mm -hmm. uh, nationally and, and Bill Nolan, uh, you know, does a fantastic job in, in pretty much publishing everything that comes out by Sabre. So uh, there's right. certainly some helpful resources there. Yeah, it definitely helped. They were, they were very helpful. Um, Barry Bloom was very encouraging. He's the president of our chapter here. Barry's, 
covered baseball longer than I've been alive. So, um, and I'm in my early forties. So, uh, that, that was helpful. There were other people in there. Hey, check this site out. You know, why don't you look here? Remember this, uh, you don't want to do this, you know, that type of stuff. Um, baseball reference was also a godsend as was retro sheet for certain things. Um, just so I could get the play by play, um, to go in addition to the newspaper, uh, what the newspapers helped with, uh, was baseball reference. Doesn't always say like details on a play like today, uh, for example, a play, um, Christian Walker came up with a bases loaded today and hit a frozen rope to left center. It was an absolute missile and uh, it was heading for the gap for a double. Well, Riley green got on his horse, runs to his right dives full extension, like a world cup goalie saving a penalty kick. It makes the catch, you know, it's going to go down sacrifice fly, but that doesn't tell the whole story, but the newspapers will. So that, that helped quite a bit too. And then as we got into the seventies, um, uh, we, I started to find some film of actual games, uh, a few. It was still at a point where it was kind of scant, you know, the film that's surviving. Volume two is a lot easier to find film for. What I'm working on right it's a now. lot of work, but very exciting. Because, you like you, you know, like you've kind of said here, you're going to uncover some things. And you go, wait a minute, a, a rock? A rock did this thing. And this player was, a, was here in this spot and then this other spot? No. Uh, it, it's just amazing when you get a chance to dig into that. And that, that's one of the great things about, about Society for American Baseball Research for anyone who isn't already a member, as mentioned before. Uh, you're the treasurer, I think, right, of the, of the Roland Heeman chapter? I am, yes. And and I'm, I'm on the board of, of ours here in mm-hmm. uh, Denver. We don't have a cool name. We, we haven't named ours after anything exactly. But there is another name I, I do want to ask you about because I only recently started seeing it. I always saw the, the Phoenix chapter or the Arizona chapter as the Roland Heeman chapter, but isn't it also named after an, an another gentleman? It was uh, named for another guy before. I don't remember. You remember his first name. I don't, but flame um, Delhi, right? Yeah. Delhi. It was named for him before. Then it became the Delhi Heeman chapter. And then it became the Roland Heeman chapter. Uh, just nice. about a year or two ago. And who, yeah. who is flame Delhi? Cause I've never seen that name. It's a great name by the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely is. He was the very first Arizonan to play in the majors. There you go. All right, well, we'll see if maybe the Denver chapter takes a page uh, out of that book and, and goes back to, to find that. Because off the top of my head, I, I, I don't know what that is. I know Matthew Replinger definitely would, would know that. He's published a, a couple things on uh, the, the, the history of, of baseball in Denver uh, overall. You can name so, it the Rich Gossage chapter, name it after the first Colorado-born uh, Hall of Famer, I guess. It's true. Yeah, very, very true. Um, I, I like that you didn't say goose because we've talked a lot about goose eggs already. So you're avoiding the goose there. Well, the stat is named after court. him, by the way. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Tying it all back in. Yeah, yeah. Great guy, Colorado Springs. First one, uh, we got Roy Holiday in. And so are there are there any Arizona-born Hall of Famers? Uh, not Might not yet. be yet. Not, not yet. yet. And even if Kurt Schilling does eventually get in with the Veterans Committee, he even though he's from here and went to high school here, he was born in Alaska, so that wouldn't happen. Wouldn't technically count, yeah. If you're yeah. if you're going by by birth there, mm-hmm. yeah. But I mean, Phoenix, you know, is obviously you living there. You've, you've seen the growth uh, of it, so it's really just just now or in, or in recent memory that you're starting to see Arizona as as this hotbed for baseball. So. Uh, you guys will break through uh, at at some point, but you're originally from the Chicago area, I believe, right? No, I'm from here, born and raised. You are all right. Well, I was curious because you're uh, you know a little bit about the the Cubs and, and White Sox a little bit, and so I was curious about that. The Cubs trained in uh, in Arizona for a while. 
They have trained, um, they trained in Catalina Island in the early 60s for yes. a year or two, but they've trained in Arizona most of the time. Um, longer than I've been alive, they've trained in Mesa. They were at Hohokam Park until Sloan Park opened. I don't remember when Sloan Park opened, but. 14 or 15, um, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So they're now at Sloan Park and the Oakland Athletics are now at Hohokam Park. But yeah, the Cubs have been here a long time. In fact, when Andre Dawson famously showed up to spring training in 1987 with a blank contract, and went to the Cubs and said, fill in your price. I want to play here. That was right outside of Hohokam Park in Mesa. Oh, that's so, fantastic. Yeah. 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 Cubs, Cubs have been in Arizona for a while. I've, I've actually been to Catalina Island, believe it or not. So, uh, I know, I know a little bit about that. What, uh, what Wrigley was doing, uh, when, <laughs> when he owned the Cubs at that time, that's, uh, that's pretty fantastic. Do you, uh, did you ever get a chance to go down to any of those spring training games at, at Hohokam? Um, I don't recall ever going to one at Holocom. I did see a Cubs spring training game in 1993 at Scottsdale Stadium against the Giants because it happened during my spring break, and my younger brother um, was a Giants fan at the time. And so we saw a Cubs-Giants one there. I saw one in 1994, Cubs-Angels um, at, in Tempe. Uh, Angels still train there. Yeah. Um, in that game, I got to see Bo Jackson play, in fact. Uh, but something else that I who I got to see play in that game is current Diamondbacks manager Tori Lovello. He played in that game. And you um, don't dare mention that to him at all. Like, you know, when I, I was a kid. To him, he thought that was awesome. <laughs> oh, he did? Oh, that's <laughs> Oh, nice. yeah, he, he loves it. But, um, but uh, yeah, that game, one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a baseball game happened in that game. I'm sitting in the left, the berm in left field by the bullpen. It's not quite at the foul pole uh, on the left field side. And um, Ray Sanchez for the Cubs, was, I will never forget this if I live to be a thousand. Ray Sanchez was batting. I don't recall who was pitching, but um, Sanchez roped one and he was early on it. And so he hit this screaming liner that was coming toward where I was sitting and all of us around there were getting ready. I had my glove. And all of a sudden we see this big black thing in the third base grandstand go up. And we hear this go home. This guy took off his 10 gallon hat and caught the ball in that. And, um, he got a standing O. Even the players were clapping for him. It was hilarious. That's yeah. That is very impressive. Uh, you have to go through the archives of MLB.com to find anyone else catching a baseball in a cowboy hat. I'm surprised I haven't seen that. I, I feel like we should. We, there should be a Rolodex of like four or five of the best cowboy hat catches, and I can't even think of one. I don't even think that game was televised, so there may be no footage of it whatsoever. But um, I. Yeah, I 100% promise this happened. It was, it was It'll be in your book of anecdotes of things that actually have happened, even though there may not be a record of it. And in yeah. that spring training game, I imagine Bo Jackson hit a baseball over the highway 750 feet. You know, if we're going to really sell this book, we got to have some pretty big stories, you know? Well, he, was, he came in as a, a defensive replacement in left field late in the game. I think he got a hit. I don't recall. Um I was by that point I was I was kicking myself because my favorite player of all time is Ryan Sandberg, and in that game, I was um, my cousin's cousin. So it was it was my cousin's cousin on a different side of the family, so I'm not related to him. Anyway, he had said, "Hey, if you go down near the left field corner, you might get a, a ball that's bouncing." Or, well, I didn't go over there. I stayed where we were. I was leaning up against the fence, and Sandberg hit a rope that bounced, and I reached over the fence to get get it, and it was past my glove by about that much. And in the corner, it would have been right there. And I, of everyone who was in the corner, I was taller than all of them and had longer arms than all of them. So chances were good. I would have had it. And, oh, well, but if I'm at the Hall of Fame next month and I run into Rhino <laughs> and I get the guts to tell him about it, maybe he'll. You won't alligator arm that one. You are, your arm yeah. will have a full extension. You'll get that handshake from Ryan Sandberg. And yeah. things will be all right. 
<laughs> there you go. Thanks for the encouragement there. That's it. And again, it will come full circle. Uh, before you plug away where, where people can find your stuff, uh, just just one final little thing for anyone out there who's listening to this is going, uh, I, I'm, I'm on the fence about joining my local Saber chapter. Because again, there are chapters that are all over the world. And also too, even if you can't necessarily attend any meetings, you can still be a part of this community. You can still join in. You can still help with research projects. You can still write biographies of people or uh, game recaps where you could actually do that and say, hey, you know what? Uh, the big the big game where Nolan Arenado got in a fight with the entire San Diego Padres back on April 11th, 2018 to pick a random date. No one has a game recap of that. You can get your feet wet, dunk your toes into the water there. And, and start your own little writing career, which maybe leads to a book if you are so inclined to do that. So if you can kind of uh, provide that little bit of motivation for anyone out there that, that might be on the fence about joining Sabre. Well, you know, it's it's a bunch of people who love baseball. That's that's the bottom line. Sabre is not like some people have given Sabre a, a kind of a bad name with the whole Sabre metrics term. You know, these people say, oh, stat geeks are clogging up the game. Investment. No, Sabre's a research group. That's all it is. I mean, that's what it is first and foremost. It's a research group. It's people who love baseball getting together and, you know, researching it, reading about it, writing about what they find, all that stuff. It's also a great community. Um, Sabre's about people um, who love baseball, like I said. So uh, I think back to when I joined the chapter of Sabre, I had just been hired by last word on sports to write for last word on baseball and so i was like you know i'll join saber and i went to the first meeting in march of 2019 barry bloom was there very welcoming candace oler was awesome jack summers um just just great people there and they they were very welcoming encouraging and all that and then in june i ended up getting in the press box here my game anniversary was actually two days ago um and when I came here, I was scared to death. I didn't, you know, I didn't know where hardly anything was. Well, I calmed down a little bit and felt a little bit better when I saw Jack Summers walk in because I already knew him. And then Candace was here. I already knew her. Barry Bloom was here. I already knew her. So they showed me where some things were. And that, that helped me calm down. And, you know, then, like I said, uh, the encouragement to write the book, the encouragement to help plug it. Um, it went into their winter baseball the, i don't remember what they call it but the list of Gift books. guide yeah yeah it went in there so yeah you know and it's it's not a very expensive uh undertaking to pay dues for the year yeah baseball. i it's such a great way of books, something like that yeah yeah it's fantastic and there's discounts for students too for for mm-hmm. young people and i right. know our chapter we you know, we, we've got a nice little uh, nest egg where we like to go and, and support some of the younger members and, and different things and, and join different conferences and things of that nature. So you're right. It's baseball people who love baseball. And the sabermetrics part is actually is actually such a small part. And in fact, it's just baseball fans. Like they might be doing that research, like you said, on a story or uh, just on the history of the game, but they're not necessarily doing statistical research. It's just who did what, when, look at this interesting angle, sharing stories more than it is numbers and statistics. In fact, most of the time it has nothing to do with statistics whatsoever. Right. That's, that's exactly right. That's a great point. I agreed with you 100% there. Sorry, I got distracted there. Jose Romero of the Arizona Republic was leaving and he waved by to me. Jose's a great guy. <laughs> That's awesome. Follow you on Twitter at L W O S Evan T. That's last word on sports. 
Evan T. And again, we'll have uh, an article or two uh, at the bottom of this podcast description. Anything else you'd like to plug or any other locations where people can check out your stuff? Well, uh, you can find my book on Amazon. You can find it on Barnes and Noble. You can find it on Target. Uh, or you can go directly to the publisher, which is Book Baby. Uh, if you go there, they have a bookshop there where you can um, order the book. Um, there's lastwordonbaseball.com, which takes you to lastwordonsports.com slash baseball, which is where you'll find my articles. Um, and then if you want to get an email anytime I post a new article, uh, what you can do is go to thompsontalks.com, sign up for the mailing list there. Because anytime I write an article for Last Word, I, I uh, put a link to it on Thompson Talks, and then you can get emailed anytime a new one goes up. And your YouTube show is going to overtake ours, right, Evan? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. The I, want, I want us all there. to be successful, you know? Well, I don't mean we're not. We're still going to be successful, but you're going to shoot past us because I'm putting those good vibes out there, giving you that momentum. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at DNVR underscore Rockies. I'm at Patrick D. Lyons. Also, make sure you're checking out at the Susie Hunter on Twitter and all platforms. But hey, truly, though, Evan, you know what they say about momentum. It's only as good as your next show. So we'll talk to you then.